Hey, welcome again to the podcast. In this podcast, it's our sixth and final session with David Watson as uh, he continues his training with us from 2016. I hope you've been enjoying the series so far. In this session, we're talking about what do we do once we find a person of peace. What does coaching look like? And uh, we are walking through some of the coaching and mentoring questions that we can use when we're starting a movement. It's really important to find the right people to begin with and uh, the right people who are starting to facilitate Discovery Bible Studies. The facilitator is the first level of leadership in a movement and they're vital to form the DBS that turns into a healthy church. And so uh, the job of the coach is to really learn how to debrief and and go deeper with that facilitator. And so there are a number of really important questions that you need to be asking the facilitator to keep that DBS on track. And it's a lot more than simply coaching. The difference in coaching moves into mentoring and the idea of mentoring goes into the deeper things of the heart of talking about your relationship with God and family and how your standing is in the community and what you're going to do to understand and improve the reason that God has put you there. And so these kind of questions are really helpful. And finally, in this session, David really encourages us to go for it and have a go and to coach a person, a person of peace, to facilitate a discovery Bible study and removing ourselves from the position of leading the group ourselves, which is often the biggest paradigm shift and the biggest level of trust, being out of control and being able to allow others to run the Discovery Bible Studies. We need to be willing to fail and uh, and take that first step and coach someone. So enjoy this challenging and practical session on coaching people in Discovery Bible Studies. I'm telling you that the, the briefing for the Discovery Bible study may be at the most 20 minutes. You don't just spend 20 minutes at a meeting with a person. You're going to spend time talking about family, talking about football games, talking about just doing the things that you do to build a relationship. But here's something that most of you are not skilled at. You have to be good at managing relationships and good at moving them from one stage to the next. When I was a a field missionary, the majority of my time was spent one-on-one with these facilitators and helping them to continue to grow, staying ahead of them a week at a time and keeping it working out and moving, all of those kind of things. So it's a different time allocation. And it's really tough when you're a field missionary to say no to people who want to be around you. And, and again, you only feed success. If people are not being successful that, you, that want your time, you give them less and less of your time. You have, to, you have to see these people for what they are. It's Satan's interruption of your work. Satan doesn't come at you looking evil. He comes at you looking naive and in need of your time. We're compassionate people by nature. And people who need compassion will soak up our time. And if we're not managing our time, 
all of a sudden we realize, you know, I'm spending 10, 15 hours a week with this guy and he does nothing. Except soak up my time. And I, I imagine every one of you right now can think of someone in your life that you're spending a lot of time with who's not your spouse that's soaking up your time and keeping you from, from moving the kingdom forward. And that's how, I mean, see, you talk about spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare, Satan is the most passive-aggressive person on the world. He's coming at you banging. He bangs at people who don't know Christ. That's who he bangs around and scares them so they make make funny decisions. But for Christians, that's not how he fights us. He's passive-aggressive. He puts people in our way. He puts, you know, he gives us illnesses. He gives, it's never him showing up in all of his evil and saying, I'm going to destroy you. And you go, no, you're not. I got Christ. See, it's right here. And, and we'll, we'll sit there and, and he's not going to do that because he can't win. The way he wins is by distracting us. But we have, we have three things going on at the same time. We have education. We have coaching and we have mentoring. Education, coaching, and mentoring. Education increases knowledge. That's its role, is to increase knowledge. In in looking at your facilitator, they're your very first level of leadership in a movement. They're your grassroots level. And they're lost. They don't know Jesus. And so when you're, when you're working with that person, you're building a relationship. You've already been building a relationship maybe for a few months before they get to the point of facilitating your group. They've already opened their family and friends up to the conversations that you've been having to them. You've even met some of those people and your conversations have gone beyond them. And, and now you're coming to that formal point where you want to do a discovery group. And yesterday, y'all walked through that entire discovery group uh, process. And, and again, that thing is not laid in stone. If you want to change the order, change the order. You want to change the passages, change the passages. But understand what you're changing. If you leave out Thanksgiving, you leave out worship when your church comes into existence. And you've got to go back around and teach Thanksgiving in order to produce worship. If you leave out dealing with problems then you leave out intercession and you leave out ministry. And when you start a church, you're going to be anemic in the area of, 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 of caring for people and, and helping one another. If you leave out the accountability for what they've learned and accountability for what they share what they've learned, you just said no to replication. You said no to growth. You said it's not important that you know this, so we're not going to ask you about it. It's not important that you do this because we don't care about replication. If you leave that out, that's what's going to happen. And if you leave out the study and you just talk, then you make yourself the important thing instead of Scripture the important thing. And if you and if you leave out asking people by name who you're going to share this with in the next 24 hours... Say goodbye to that group replicated. Again, that's just a part of preparation for evangelism in the future and the replication of the church and disciples at that point. So all of these things are part of this process. Now this debrief on the screen is for your coaches of facilitators. 
because coaches get sloppy too. Okay? If you do not debrief the coaches on your team every week, did you hear that superlative? Every? If you do not debrief these guys, they will wander to doing what they used to do instead of what they need to do. If you don't lead and don't manage, you're not going to see success. We have to we have to hold people accountable. We have to get everyone on the same page. And training, 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 training is part of the answer. You keep training, you keep evaluating, you hold people accountable, you have the meetings. And when you're trying to get a church planning movement off the ground, your coaches are your front line. And those facilitators that they're coaching are the first step of movement. They're the first step. They're, they're either a person of peace or related to the person of peace in such a way that they became the focus of the ministry. And, and you just need to recognize that that's who they are. And that means if you're going to be a success, where are you going to put your time? With those coaches. I mean, if you're writing a book, set it aside. Put your time with those coaches. If you're trying to do two or three things, put your, put your time with those coaches. Look, I get it. If you're raising funds, it takes a lot of energy and time. If you have management responsibilities in an organization, it takes a lot of energy and a lot of time. But if you're still responsible for grassroots work, you better spend over half your time with those coaches. You've got to build the relationships with them. You've got to know their hearts. They have to trust you in such a way that when you ask them to do something, there's not an argument. They want to, they want to please and go forward with doing that. And people don't do that unless they respect you. If, if they haven't come to a part of the relationship where they love and respect you, you ask them to do something and they're going to argue with you for four hours before they, before they decide not to do it. And they will decide not to do it just to show that you aren't the boss. So don't be a boss. Don't be a boss. Be a person that loves them so deeply and wants to see them succeed that these are the things that they will have to do in order to succeed. And you approach every person we approach with that attitude. I want to see you to be, be successful in the church planning career you say you want. I want you to be a successful missionary. I want you to be successful in language school. I want you to be successful in cross-cultural work. I want you to be successful. And, and my job is to help you be successful. And these are some, some minimal things I'm going to ask you to work on until we see success. Uh, see, the, see the management process you're looking at here? It's not about the ministry. It's about them. And they've got to believe that. And it should be true. Because the gospel moves by the mouths of people and the lives of people. And, and you can't treat them like a machine. You have to treat them like people. So all of these things should be on your heart and mind as, you, as you're leading your teams. And I'm talking to you as if all of your team leaders. I know that's not the case, but you should be. Every cross-cultural worker's primary responsibility is to develop a national team, a local team. No, no free rides. 
your your job if you're on a team of ten, I've got ten coaches and each one of them should be leading leading five to ten more teams, coaching them and developing them. And that that's how these people say, how do you grow so fast? And of course, it looks fast to them. It's not because I'm investing an incredible amount of time in people. But everyone's expected to be a coach, minimum coach. And they move into leadership, they're expected to be mentors. And that's even a bigger job. Because in the, in the mentoring process, we deal with a lot of stuff. And it's, it's about character, it's about knowledge, it's about growth and personality, it's about growth and relationships inside and outside your family. We deal with a lot at the mentor level. So if you came to work for me as a leader, we're going to be in a pretty tight and fairly aggressive relationship about who are we going to be, each of us. How are we dealing with our personal foibles? How are we dealing with our own problems? How do we help keep our marriages healthy? How do we keep our walk with Christ healthy? How do we keep our relationship with our children healthy, our relationship with our parents, our relationship with our, pre- our churches that sent us? What are we doing not just to keep those relationships, but to improve them? So when you, when you talk about this coaching debrief, this is focused on a very small piece of the relationship. And that's the piece that moves the gospel. And if you don't do this, your, your coaches will back off from, from doing it with their facilitators. And, and that's the point. So these are the very same questions they're going to turn around and ask the facilitators. It's the very same questions. So let's take a look at this. Did you have time for Thanksgiving? Now all of these guys are in groups and, and said, and, and how about your men, the guys that you're, you're coaching? Did they have time for the Thanksgiving? What kind of success rate are we getting that every group is actually going through asking what you're thankful for? Be surprised. People say, oh, we're thankful for people. We don't need to do that. Everybody's thankful for something. We don't need to do that. You need to do it. It's like worship. God knows he loves you. God knows you love him. But he still wants you to worship him. I mean, so just because God knows something or just because we think we know something... It doesn't stop us from doing the things that that build that and add value to that. Did you have time for needs or challenges or depression? Whatever term you're going to use there. I don't care what term. Needs in some culture implies you're going to give money. So you might say challenges or you might say struggles. And that's that, that has a different implication than asking about needs. But again, with my coaches, I know what their needs are. I know where they're struggling. And, and, it's, and it's fascinating to sit there and talk to guys. And then when we have our group teams, uh, I, I will ask them for the inner team. Is it all right if I share with the rest of the team where you're having a struggle? Maybe we can all can get together on this. So we had a guy, his, his car engine blew. And he needed $2,000 to, to replace the engine. And we figured out a way to give him $2,000 to replace his engine. Because this certainly wasn't in his budget, and it certainly wasn't in my budget, but we came up with the money between all of us to get that engine replaced because he drives a lot of miles. Did you discuss on how to meet the needs? Again, I'm modeling this with a team. 
our our messaging system, when I hit a message, it goes to everyone on the team. It doesn't just go to one. If you want to talk to one person, everyone else gets copied on it, unless it's been asked to keep it private. But I try to say, you know, on this team, we're a ministry team, and we're confidential in our team member discussions. If you're listening closely, you might begin to realize that my team is my church. Now, we all have churches. But where real church happens is in our team. That's where we confess to one another. That's where we bear one another's burdens. That's where we help one another. That's where we love one another. That's where we admonish one another. That's where we esteem one another. I mean, all of those one another things are happening in the team because we're working together all week long. We're showing up at our congregational churches once a, once a week if we're in town. Last year, I was at my church only eight times the whole year. Nobody knew me. They knew my wife because she's there every Sunday, but they didn't know me. This year, my numbers have gone up a little bit. I've been there already more this year than I did all of last year. Your team becomes real church if you're doing it right. When you look at body life as described in Scripture, it's your team that's going to be there, and you're their pastor. Um, I think some of us will have facilitators rather than coaches to start with. Is that right? Because um, they will be leading groups. And no, are they? Coaches. Are they? Are they already Christians? Yeah. No, they should be coaches. Um, so I'm hearing you talk a lot about personal development, like that's a continual process. You're talking about um, with mentoring, just. Um, being able to skill people, you know, I had those conversations about their own personal development. Where is, do you have a list of resources or suggestions about how to manage conflict, how to build relationships, all those sort of things? Or is that just something we have you to catch it. And, and that's the reason it's really important to realize that how you mentor your people is how they're going to mentor their people. So I developed a, a, a matrix system years ago that I used, and, and there's there's six primary relationships, and then you've got a couple of problem areas you deal with. Them. We talk about, in the course of a month, we don't talk about each item, we talk about every item in the week because there's just too much material. What are you doing to improve your relationship with God? Is there anyone in here who doesn't need to improve their relationship with God? I do. I need to improve my relationship with God. So we talk about what are you doing, and we say, okay, in your in your that's one of your roles as being a child of the Father. That's one of your roles. So what are you going to do annually? Is there a conference you're going to go to to help you with that? What do you do about your worship life? What are you going to do about your service life? All around your relationship to the Father who created you and who wants to love you and wants to see you be a high success. What are you doing to improve that relationship? The second one, and these are in, these are in order of priority. And people always challenge me on this, but I'll show you it's true in the Bible. The second one is, what am I doing to improve my, my relationship with my family? And by that, we talk about mostly first-level relationships, parents, siblings, spouse, children, uh, 
grandchildren to a certain extent, and, and sometimes if you have people living with you that are out of, outside, it's anyone that's inside your home becomes a part of that that circle for the second level. And and each person is listed in what you're going to do with them to improve the relationship with them. So like like my wife, she calls her mother every week. She calls her father every week. She calls her sister every week. Sometimes more than that. Her and her sister, uh, she and her sister communicate a lot through texting. What are you doing to improve your relationships with your community, including your church? Now, my philosophy is I engage the community outside of church as well as the community of church. So I've been a scoutmaster uh, to do that. I've been on some government committees to do that. Uh, you know, some neighborhood watch programs, just things that HOA Association, Homeowners Association, to to uh, to stay building relationships outside of my church. But also, I have a list of people inside my church that I want to develop relationships with. I've got people that every time they send me a newsletter, I call them and talk about the newsletter. That's what they're interested in. That's what's happening. Say, I know there's got to be a bigger story behind that story than what you wrote. Say, oh, you wouldn't believe what went on behind that. And they'll tell you all the details behind the story that was written in their newsletters. Uh, same with uh, my community is my team. They are my primary community. So I, I'm, I'm doing things to engage them. So the fourth thing is, what are you doing to understand and improve your reason that God put you here. Your role, your your identity and job, whatever it might be, what are you doing to improve that? Fifth thing is what are you doing to be a better employee or team member? The thing that puts money on your table, food on your table. What are you doing to improve those relationships and improve in doing that? The sixth thing is what are you doing to improve yourself Physically, mentally, emotionally, intellectually. What are you doing to improve these areas of your life? The seventh thing is, any problem areas we're discussing, they come back and we look, we shine a little, little brighter light on them. Now, here's what you're not hearing. Everything I ask my team or anybody else in my mentoring circles, they have the right to ask me. So it's, it's a two-way street. The other thing that you're not aware of is that when you mentor is when you start growing as a leader. I can promise you, if you're not mentoring anyone, you're not going to grow as a leader. It's just the nature of growth. You want to be a good leader? Start mentoring people. Because you're going you're gonna to learn so much from them. People think I do this because I want to teach them. No, I don't mentor because I want to teach. I mentor because I want to learn. And, and that's the important thing for me in mentoring. One, one thing I've missed in the whole process is when you identify the person of peace and you've done your one-minute Bible studies, how do you prepare them to become a facilitator? 
do you do Bible studies? You're not supposed to model doing that. Doing it. What do you do with them? Uh, I run through this list with them and say, okay, you, you've been you've been talking to your family about things down in, informally. Now we're going to move it to formal. And and here's what we do. Here's your list. Let's write it down. So this all goes on a list. And and then I said, here's your new verses for this week. He's already had verses from me, so it's nothing new. Now I'm just writing them out so he has a piece of paper to walk into the meeting with. And they may they may uh, photocopy it or however they do it so that everybody has a copy if they're, if they're literate. If they're oral learners, just one person is reading it, which may be the 12-year-old in the room. There's a lot of people, the children went to school and they did. So out of that, you, they're just following the same list that's up here on the screen and making sure that those things are going. And then these coaches are asking them these same questions. Did you have time for Thanksgiving? Did you have time for struggles, needs, or whatever it might be? Did you did you discuss how to meet needs? Did you deal with the review of last week's lesson? Did you deal with who they talked to last week after the last lesson? And, and now you get into the Discovery Bible study. Did you write it or talk about it? Did you see if they understood it so they could tell it to other people? And did they say they would obey it? And if they obey it, who they're going to share with? And, and come back around all these same questions. And, and, you, and it, you know, it's a learning process. They don't get it right the first time or the second time or the third time. By the fifth and sixth time, it's going pretty smoothly, though. And I showed you yesterday my Bible where we wrote it in the Bible. Well, I, I, I print it up for them, and they have it for those who are, who are written learners. But... For oral learners, we just keep going it over until they got it. So Follow you, up? But you never use those questions with them before that. That's right. Teach. Never used it before they had a formal group going, ever. Um, on the board there, did you facilitate or did you lead or did you teach? What's the difference between facilitating and leading in this context? The distinction between just being a facilitator and a leader is about how is it fitting into the overall structure. There's some people who get so worried about overall structure they forget to do the facilitating job. They just feel like I'm the boss and this is my group and I'm leading it. And they'll just do whatever they want to with it. So that's the reason we have that question in there is to just give a small check to make sure people aren't going off base in what they think is a good way which may ultimately be a seriously serious area we have, error we have to correct later on. Is that clear? Not clear. I can tell it's not clear. Yeah. Facilitating is all about the meeting. Leading is about other issues that aren't related to the meeting. Simple question. Um, do you only mentor blokes or do you get women involved? No. Uh, I only mentor men. And my wife mentors the women. And together we will mentor couples usually. But... The mentoring relationship, now I'll coach women, because that's just about skill sets, but mentoring gets to a, a deep area of people's walk in life that a man has no business being in the mind of a woman and a woman has no business being in the mind of a man. First of all, you won't be honest about it. Second of all, it can lead you to places that you really don't want to go. And Because when you're mentoring, my best friends came out of mentoring relationships. I know because two things happen. Either people tell you so much they don't want to ever see you again, or they tell you so much they trust you with the rest of their life. 
and, and it can go either way. So avoid avoid that that cross gender mentoring we do not do. But I will coach you on how to do a discovery group. I will coach you on how to do task. But I will not deal with the character issues from a mentoring perspective cross gender. And and you will make mistakes. I still make mistakes. And as you start in the wrong place, you use the wrong passage, you come up with the wrong answers. Hey, that's how you learn. We learn from failure a whole lot more than we learn from success. And, and we have to be willing to fail. We have to risk failure in order to learn to do this right. Because the infinite variety of humanity, there's no way I can prepare for even this room, much less for all the lost people that I work with. That variety is there. You just have to do it. Just get out there and do it. That's part of it.